Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 31. This week, we talked to Anthony Russell about getting the next generation of technology enthusiasts. The Microsoft Band is useful in surprising places. HTTP2, all the things. And why did you write your code this way? So today we have a great guest with us. He is a .NET and phone developer, organizer of the Ohio Mobile Developer User Group, competitive HackFest developer, repeat guest, develop expert, Microsoft band owner, and all-around nice guy, Anthony Russell. How's it going, Anthony? How's it going? <laughs> so <laughs> glad to have you back on here. We had an awesome discussion last time. So That's a heck uh, of an intro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we. Uh, I think maybe like every episode, we should come up with a longer and longer intro for each guest. No, <laughs> it's awesome. it's great though to 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 talk about all the you know. There's a lot of cool stuff that developers are doing out there, and we may as well uh, you know talk them up. Absolutely, because you're doing some cool stuff. So yeah, you reached out to us. You sent us an email um, talking about some of the stuff you're working on. I know we've we've been in, uh, especially Carl's been in conversation with you. So we want to talk about some of the cool things that you're doing uh, a little bit later in the show. Sure, that sounds great. Okay, so let's jump into the news, Carl. Yep, first thing is really a public service announcement. So if you develop for Windows Phone 7 yet, or if you just want to test your current apps on on Windows Phone 7 devices that you, you know, have that you might need to, you know, maintain, you only have until the end of this year, December 31st, 2014, to dev unlock your devices. Um, there's a on the back end, there's a certificate that's going to be expiring and they will not be renewing it. So that's the technical reason why this is happening. And um, if you relock your device and unlock it, you will get two more years on that device. So if you have something like a Lumia 800 or 900 or one of the original like uh, Samsung Ateves, you're, you're going to want to do that before the end of this year to ensure that you can still sideload your apps for uh, two more years. So how big of a deal is this in reality? Well, I mean, do you see is, a lot of those phones out there still? It's 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 going to be a smaller and smaller thing, but out of the people that, you know, still haven't upgraded, it it would catch them off guard if they don't know about this otherwise. Okay. Well, but this is mostly for developers, right? So the developers Correctly. want to be able to keep up that that software for because we know that people hang on the phones for a long time, yes. a long time occasionally makes sense. And especially for places like Canada, uh, where they have three year contracts or uh, or in Europe where they don't have contracts, you buy your phone. Sometimes people carry hang on to them longer than the two years that we do in America. OK, so actually, maybe we should uh, let, maybe we should do the stories a little bit out of order here, too, because um, we have another story here about all Lumia phones will be upgraded to Windows 10. So. Um, so, so that should be modified slightly all Lumia 8.0 phones right, and right. higher. And that's, and that's why I wanted to talk about it right now. So, so this, this issue of going from, you know, maintaining your apps on, on seven, I think will kind of go away, right? Yes. Of this announcement. So what is this? This is basically, this is just saying, just confirming that all those phones will still be uh, useful for 10. Yes. But, it, but it also, it's a very small message. It, it, it's a link to a, a tweet, and we'll have a link to that in our show notes. But the the exact terminology says Lumia phones and upgraded to Windows 10. So there's two key things that I at least see out of there. So one, that means Microsoft branded. So maybe you can't guarantee that out of the HTC or Samsung or some of these third-party ones like Blue. But the other thing that's interesting is it's not Windows Phone. It's Windows 10. As as Microsoft is going on to this you know universal uh-huh. app model, it's... It, it'll be windows phones with a small p ah, so it so looks you've like been, you've been parsing this oh yes <laughs> i just read it real quick i'm like ah, oh, sounds good you know my my 1520 will i'll be able to run windows 10 on it sounds good 
but uh okay cool anything else you want to say about that no it's, it's just you know a confirmation of of something that they've said in the past because when they made that break in going to windows phone 8 you know, it, it caught a lot of people off guard and, you know, it, it right. hurt a lot of people. And they said they're not going to do that again. And this is just reminding people it's not coming out yet. But when it does, you'll be upgraded. That's pretty good longevity. I mean, eight came out uh, quite a long time ago. Yeah, two and years today, ago. Yeah. And, and you know, most of the phones, you know, if you would have bought kind of a, a flagship phone of the time, I let's take, uh, I don't know, 920. Is that probably a good example? So if you're running a 920, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of longevity getting the, the latest OS. Yep. At least for a, for a phone is concerned. Okay. And then uh, how secure is Windows Phone? That's our next story. So apparently Windows Phone in the Pwn to Own contest was the only one to completely survive. Now, we have to hedge it a little bit because they were able to suck the cookies out of Internet Explorer on Windows Phone. Okay. But both iOS and Android got rooted completely. Yeah. And Windows Phone did not. So that that's pretty important because they had the same amount of time on their tracks. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not like there is, you know, just more people were going against the other ones. You know, they they had the same competition. Okay. And now was that through like a is that through a website exploit as an example? Um I guess it doesn't say it does it. No, and the thing is, they they kind of oh, keep it these. Says, no, in an attack on Internet Explorer. Okay, so it must have been through a website. Yeah, so it was through Internet Explorer, but they don't give out the exact details on it. Okay, I, do you remember on on the iPhone? I got such a kick out of this. It was uh, I think it was like jailbreakme.com or something like that. You'd mm-hmm. actually you'd actually go to it on an iPhone, and it would it would look just like the unlock screen on an iPhone. It would say slide to jailbreak, and yep. that's how easy it was at one point. Yeah, I remember that site. That site was awesome. Yeah, it was it was actually pretty handy. And I, w- the funniest part of that was that people were going to Apple stores and they were they were running the jailbreak on all the devices. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh, and it took a while for that to get bar. fixed, too. That's a pretty big exploit. I mean, the fact that that website could have, you know, it could own your phone. That's scary stuff. So this is cool. Um, And I'm guessing, you know, the other platforms here will be quickly patching their operating systems and and be good to go as well. So let's talk about the Microsoft Band. Do either of you have one? I don't, and I'm really jealous wah, of wah. everybody who does. <laughs> I hate everybody who has one. I would raise my hand, but, you know, I, I'm not on video. I'm only audio, you know. Okay. <laughs> so, but yes, I do have one, and it's amazing. It's, yeah. it's everything you, you hope it would be. Okay. Yeah, you had mentioned some of the, you said one of the, the game-changing features was the, the notifications. Yeah, yeah, that's... It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, is he going to tell us a story? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I had a lot of great expectations for the band, and I knew it was going to revolutionize, revolutionize the way that I operated with my phone. Um, the one unexpected thing, though, was that, uh, you know, when you're standing at the urinal, and you feel your phone buzz, you know, you don't have to worry about pulling it out and checking it anymore. You can just look at your watch and, you know, you're good to go. You don't have to break stride. Right, right. <laughs> no, that that is actually one of the things that I, well, not the urinal scenario specifically, but <laughs> the fact that, you know, your phone is buzzing in your pocket all the time. And, and what ends up happening is I, I put the thing on vibrate sometimes. I use the do not disturb feature, but um, when it is on uh, on vibrate, you know, sometimes I just forget about it. And then I'm like, okay, that did that feel like a text message or an email? And I see the emails popping in on my screen on my computer. 
So I'll be like, oh, no, I didn't miss anything. And then here, Carl, you know, sent me some emergency message or whatever. <laughs> my mom sent me something, you know, text message. So being able to just like, you know, flick your wrist up and just look at it real quick. I think that's pretty handy, especially yeah. when you're traveling or, or doing something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the uh, I joke about the urinal thing, but the where it really pays off is in the car. Uh, I mean, mm. Northeast, we just got hammered today with, you know, like a foot of snow. Yeah, uh, I'm driving down the road. I get a text message or an email or something. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to have to pull my phone out and look. Yeah. Or I, I'm probably like the biggest offender ever. So <laughs> it's it's nice to, uh, you know, I don't have to take my eyes off the road. I can just glance at my watch real quick, say, oh, okay, you know, it was a message from so-and-so. Yeah. And I, I'm going to ignore them. And I yeah. just keep on, I keep on going my way. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely, definitely nice for that. If you're, I, I guess I know the answer. If your phone is ringing, you can't answer it from the band, right? I guess because it, that wouldn't make any sense because it would still be in your pocket. Unless yeah, it was it over says, Bluetooth. It says incoming call, and I want to say it, it gives you the option to ignore yeah. uh, if you'd like. That's kind of nice, too. I mean, the, the 1520, it takes uh, it takes some tooling to get in and out of my pockets. <laughs> mm, <yeah. laughs> right. So so not having to, you know, yank that thing out every time would be would be kind of nice. Well, and I noticed that my battery life is going up significantly now, too, because I don't yeah. use glance anymore. Uh, I have no need for really? glance. I have a watch, right? Uh, and also, I leave the ringer off all the time now because it's it's going to vibrate my wrist. There's no, no need for an audio. Oh, that's such a good point. And in the band, I know it, it fits kind of, it, it fits snug. So the heart rate monitor fits. So does the, so the, the vibration gets your attention. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every time, uh, there's no question. I mean, it's, it's not obnoxious, but it's enough to, it's enough to notice. And yeah, the heart rate monitor is nice, but it, it doesn't always pick up. Um, I wear mine loose most of the time. Yeah. Unless I'm, doing something physically active and then I'll, I'll wear it tight so I can get that, that heartbeat mm-hmm. sensing. Carl, one thing we, we, one question we had for you was, uh, was the SDK. Cause I know you had some, yes. uh, some news on that. So, uh, Microsoft announced when this came out that the SDK was not going to be coming out till sometime early next year. And, uh, Anybody who follows Justin Angel on Twitter, um, he's a, a Windows Phone developer. He said, if you download the desktop app, you can extract the DLL that communicates with the band, and you can make API calls through that DLL to the band. So anything that the desktop app has access to do, it's not the full SDK that's going to be announced, but you can already communicate with the band. So he's done things like uh, push notifications to it, um, change uh change custom backgrounds on there things like that so if you have an idea for an app uh and you want to get a head start on it uh here here's a good uh way to at least just check it out see what you can do Mm -hmm. so so anthony i i know that one of the options in there is to basically push all the notifications to the band is that correct you can get you know like any app notifications you can have pop up on there yeah, there's a notification center okay. on it, um, and it operates just like the notification center on your phone. So uh, currently, the apps are limited for the like actual apps, like a messaging app, a mm-hmm. email app. Uh, the notifications go directly to those, like the Facebook and Twitter app. The the notifications say specifically for Facebook and Twitter. Okay. Um, but for other things like uh, if I get store apps that are updated, or uh, if I get a weather advisory, things like that, they'll go under the notification center. Okay. Um, but yeah, calendar events, um, phone calls, SMS, email, Twitter, Facebook, those all go to their to their own apps. Uh, and then things that aren't supported yet go to the notification center. Okay, because I wrote an app that what it does, it uses the sensor core SDK 
and it will tell you um, if you've been sitting too long, you know, if you've been and it can tell the difference between being on a desk versus sitting around. So I'm just thinking going off all day. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the point, though. Like it's it's, you may you'd be better off starting to walk around and smoking. You know, they're saying that that the sitting is less healthy, healthy than smoking. So, um, you know, if I had the band, that would be even more ideal because I could just look down and be like, oh, I've just been I've been sitting for too long. It tells me how many minutes I've been sitting, you know, since last getting up to to walk around or run or whatever. I love hearing that because, you know, I I do. I, I have a Siberian Husky and him and I run constantly. We, mm-hmm. we probably do nine right around nine miles a week. And uh, it whenever I hear things like that, it just makes me think that I'm doing all that extra stuff, but it just balances. I, I'm like a zero sum, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It balances me out. I'm, I'm barely healthy. Yeah. I mean, you're cutting <laughs> off I all your so circulation sitting. the rest of the time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, it's that, that's why I wrote the app. You brought up the point that, you know, you're you don't need to use glance anymore. And Nokia has been known to have a lot of features that other windows phones don't have. And it seems like this kind of, you know, evens the bar with some of the third party things. And now that Microsoft owns Nokia, you know, it's less of a threat having those extra features that the other ones don't. Uh, For example, I just switched out to an HTC phone because I'm on Verizon and, you know, I I missed the glance screen, but now I'm looking forward to the band even more because now I'm not going to miss it. Yeah. Yeah. That was the, I I noticed that my battery was getting zapped pretty quick. And that was the first thing I did was I started disabling extra features. Um, glance was the first thing to go. And I, it made sense when I, when I disabled it, I was like, Oh, you know what? I probably won't need this. And now thinking back on it, I rarely even keep my phone in my pocket. I just leave it sitting on my desk and I'll walk around the house and I don't even, I I rarely even carry it with me now. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So I think this, I think this sort of opens up new opportunities like that. We're, we're definitely in the, the early days of this type of technology, but, um, you find it, it's not too obnoxious to wear as far as comfort. No, not at all. I, I don't even notice it most of the day, most of the time. Uh, I notice it when I run because I, I make it as tight as possible. So I don't miss out on that sensor data. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know if you've seen the running app, but it's very detailed. It offers some great data. Uh, and I, I tighten it up when I sleep too, because I like the sleeping data as well. Okay. One more stupid question for you. Uh, does it work for walking? I mean, would you just put it in running mode if you were walking? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could use it <laughs> I for haven't walking. Because everybody's yeah. like, oh, it works for running. But, you know, they talk about other types of exercise. I've seen nobody mention walking. But- well, yeah. So the the app, um, it'll track you. It, it gives you your ground track, you know, GPS. Yeah. And it tells you your speed and your split time and everything. Uh, and it has a step counter built in. So. I mean, I don't see why you couldn't use it for walking. It just the, your split time would be really weird. Yeah, maybe it's, uh, maybe would, I'll just call it a really slow run. You'd have like a twenty-minute split time or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to say about the band before moving on? It's amazing. I love it. Go get one. You can't get one. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Way to rub salt in my wound. You know. Yeah. Sorry. Man, I see. I was. I, I could have ordered one online, and I knew I was going to be driving past a Microsoft store, which is nowhere near my house. So that was just sort of an odd thing. So I didn't order one online. I I called ahead the store beforehand. They're like, nope, we don't we don't have any. We're not holding them. And then I went to a different Microsoft store. They didn't have any either. And I've done a ton of traveling. And now basically I called two days ago and I, I said, do you have any at this store? And she goes, we don't have any at any store anywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I actually got the last one uh, at our store when I called. I called at like three o'clock yeah. and they said they had uh, four left. And it was a 40, 40 minute drive out to the store. And I got out there in like 22 minutes. And <laughs> Wow. So they were selling one yeah, every no, 10 minutes. Selling. And that was like without, yeah. that's without advertising. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're talking the same day release. So this was yeah. day one. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't get out there until, you know, about four o'clock and they had one left and I, I was lucky enough to get it. Okay, cool. Carl, what does an idle CPU do? Yeah, I thought this was a pretty interesting article. Um, a lot of times, you know, I didn't even know, you know, what does a computer do when you don't tell it what to do? Mm-hmm. And they go into, there's an actual command for a CPU idle loop. Mm-hmm. And um, there's several different implementations of, depending upon OS. But essentially, you can put it into this, you know, you know, idle loop yeah. uh, in, in, in Intel processors, you know, it's in, in the halt mode and they go through and there's a diagram that just shows that once it's put in that halted state, it sleeps for uh, something like four milliseconds where it mm-hmm. just goes into a lower power mode and then it wakes up and sees if there's a timer interrupt telling it to wake up. And that just keeps going and doing that 250 times a second. But just being, you know, idle that little bit longer, you know, helps it. Well, yeah, because this thing is, I mean, it's it's a totally different world at at, at the, the speed things are going yep. there. Yep. And I remember I had a I had a 286 uh, back in the day, and I actually had a little tool on there to ensure that the halt command would get issued. I don't. I think it ran in, it was like a memory resident tool or something. And it would, it would, cause this was in the DOS days. Right. And it would actually mm-hmm. issue halt commands. And I don't remember what the exact purpose was. I don't remember if it was like, you know, to save power or if it was a performance thing, but uh, yeah, I used to, I, I recall the, the halt command very clearly. Yep. Yeah. And it even goes on to tell you, you know, explain that there's lower power modes in this. This is just, you know, right. the first thing that it does. And it even goes ways like on how Linux, you can configure uh, your CPU to have longer uh, ticks. And yep. they even talk about a dynamic tick, which gets crazy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just kind of they show the code, you know, in assembler, you know, this is what it looks like in the CPU as it's churning through this. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and they do talk about um, where was it here? Whenever you talk about the ticks, I think this was the issue with Chrome, and, and this is definitely outside my area of expertise. But they were saying that the uh, Chrome was like demanding a tick every uh, millisecond, and uh, you know, Internet Explorer was sort of dynamically figuring out what its tick was. But Chrome, it was just sort of they're being lazy on. Uh, it was I don't know if it was lazy development or a bug, but it was there was a bug in there for years. And that has finally gotten fixed. So Chrome is is much better on the battery now. Anything else on that? Nope. Okay, this one was kind of cool. It was called HTTP2 All the Things. Um, so this was a long presentation. It has 30, 40, 50. It's about 50 slides on HTTP2. And I know there's simpler explanations out there, but this was I thought this was just a really good presentation on it. So, I mean, the, the issue with, with, uh, HTTP 1.1, which is, you know, the protocol we use today. Um, well, if you're, if you're a web developer, you already know all the issues with it. It was, it was developed back in the, uh, in the late nineties and it was really designed for real simple web pages, but now we have, uh, responsive web pages. We have varying levels of bandwidth. We have, um, you know, fast connections where, you know, having all these assets is, is adding all this overhead so this just talks about some of the challenges and then some of the things that they're trying to solve. So some of the key things are here, um, for example, uh, partial send um, where you can, you know, the well, actually, first of all, having the server be able to push things to the client, which is kind of interesting, instead of having all these hacks with like WebSockets and with um, polling HTTP and things like that, 
So you have like a, a server push built in and then being able to do partial sends, you know, a, a document can, or a, uh, you can start pulling down a web page and along with that, it can give it all, all the initial information to, to do layout and get header information. And, and this could all happen in one big header for all of the resources. And then it can sort of prioritize and order the rest of the assets. So it can be a super highly optimized, um, you know, pull down of that page. And when people really start taking advantage of this, this is going to have, you know, like probably the biggest impact on uh, web performance, because, you know, if you go to a typical web page, just just hit like F12 and Internet Explorer Chrome and go to the network tab and you can see that it's pulling down, you know, no less than like 30 different assets. Um, And this is going to make a significant difference there. Yeah. And as I was looking through this, one of my first questions was, well, how does HTTP2 affect speedy? Because that was you yep. know, Chrome's big push. But as I read through this, it, you know, it ended up explaining it that and I didn't realize that speedy was an experimental branch of this. Exactly. And as this gets closer towards being implemented, speedy is going to phase out because HTTP2 is speedy and more. Yeah. Yeah, it was just sort of a, a way of of testing a couple different things. And that, that all gets reintegrated into the, essentially this, uh, you know, trunk branch, all the all the learnings from that. And then we end up with this HTTP2. So if you want to use HTTP2, which I don't know of any servers that support it, but uh, Internet Explorer in Windows 10 supports it. And that's important because you need, you know, it's sort of a chicken and egg problem. No servers support it. No clients support it. So somebody's got to make the first step so that the clients are starting to support it. Uh, which means that the the servers can, you know, initially start checking to say, you know, hey, does this support HTTP2 and then uh, and move forward. And then, uh, you know, the next step will be uh, years from now. Hey, pretty much everybody has HTTP2. Let's just let's just make that assumption. So I recommend looking through the slides they are easy to read. And uh, this is uh, this is what the future looks like. Then we have seven principles of rich web applications. Did you read through this, Carl? I, I, I gave it a good, good once through. Didn't yeah. look at it too deeply, but you know, the seven points that there are, I, I think are really sum up what makes up a rich web application mm-hmm. and gives you a, a clue on how to implement it. Yeah. And I, I wholly agreed with most of these. There was one that I just sort of, so let's, let's just kind of run through it. Cause I think the list is pretty quick to go through. Uh, the first one is the one that I have mixed feelings on. So server rendered pages are not optional. So basically saying, hey, the time to the page first coming up is is super key. Uh, so you have to render it on the server, get over the client. The problem is we're in we're in this uh, stage right now in web development where, um, you know, rendering it both on the server and the client can be difficult. There are some solutions out there to do this, but doing it uh, for the most part is kind of a pain these days. So I'm hoping hoping this rule sort of goes away in in one way or another you know if we have if we're able to use like angular and all these tools on the client um you know run those on the on the server as well somehow to give that that initial page um and like i said i think there's some tools if you're using you know node.js on the back end but if you're using something like web api on the back end it's really just not feasible to render that page on the server uh number two act immediately on user input that one's always a good idea and they go through into um um, you know, an explanation there, but just being, you know, as, as reactive as possible to what the user is doing. So they don't sit there like print, print, print. I, you know, I, I remember that from, uh, I think it was like middle school. 
somebody, uh, I think it was the teacher there. They, you know, they hit print and they're like, what? it didn't print. I hit print again, print, print, print. I mean, they just sit there hitting it and then they walk over the printer and then she just starts screaming. Cause the thing is just, you know, won't stop. And ultimately I had to pull the plug to get the thing to stop. Well, one of the key takeaways I took not only from this one, but a couple of the other ones is the client side has some real advantages. And one of them is being able to respond immediately Yes, and being able to use that ability to cover up some of the weaknesses of going to the server. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the applications I've been working on with, with angular it, that is, it is pretty awesome because you, you're able to do that and it feels like a desktop app now. And that's why I'm, I'm just, I'm pretty optimistic that we can build desktop class applications on the web now because we can make them that responsive. And just like a desktop app, sometimes there are things that it has to go do in the background, but we've learned that those should be asynchronous and always be, you know, providing um, some feedback as to what's going on. There needs to be a, uh, there needs to be like a, a crash course or a boot camp for developers to go through for UI design. Because, yeah. I mean, we're not really, when we're talking about this stuff, we're not really talking about, you know, efficiency. I mean, maybe a, a little bit, but, yeah. uh, you know, they're talking, I was looking at the example here for Google. They said, you know, as soon as you start typing, Google's page reacts immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, even, but that's yeah, not really even though it doesn't thing. provide meaningful information, but that action itself yeah. is useful. It, it makes the user understand that, you know, something's taking place based on what they're doing. And, um, I, I mean, I, I know that I, as a developer, I, I'm horrible at, at UI and, you know, user interaction. It's, I'm always thinking about the bits, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that we should have a, a crash course for something like that. I agree. Um, let's see, react to data changes. So I'm really big on this one right now. I, I there's, there's all these tools to have the server push data to the client. And I think that the the list of excuses to not do this is pretty small at this point. So, you know, as the server is is doing something or as you know, if it's like if you're displaying a stock on a page and the server knows that there's a new stock price, as an example, the client should reflect that within a fraction of a second um, or whatever is going on on the server. Um, you know, where it used to be different in the days of having to pull the server and it was kind of a hassle, but it's so easy now with the tools that are out there. Um, and then the other ones I'll just read through real quick. I won't really comment on, uh, cause you can read the article yourself, uh, control the data exchange with the server. Don't break history, enhance it, uh, push code updates and then predict behavior. So those, uh, the reading of those is left to the, uh, to the reader. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and another link that I'm putting in the show notes, uh, recently .NET rocks, uh, interviewed Miguel Castro on using MVVM and, okay. and spy applications. And I really liked his approach. Uh, he says that, you know, a lot of people, when they think spa, they're like, I have my one page and everything happens within there. Mm-hmm. And he talks about combining Angular on the client with MVC as a backing server component and having you know MVC but have them with pockets of spa. So if you have like an ordering system, you might have your user like everything a user might need to apply, you know interact with your application, yep. that whole section is a spa. And when they need to order something, the ordering section is an is different MVC area on the client, it's all that order interactions is another spa pocket. Yeah. And, and I really liked how he, he had that architected and thought through. Yeah. Because think, it's, yeah, it, go ahead. It, it leverages the, you know, the benefits of both and kind of keeps that logic separate because y- you don't really need to have client side your entire application there at once. 
Right. Yeah, I think that I think that's really good for two reasons. One is just pulling in the resources that you need might be a little bit easier with those boundaries because you think through them a little bit more. Uh, the other is, you know, browsers, they're pretty good, but even still, it's nice if you can sort of reboot them every once in a while. And what that does, whenever you go to that next page, the actual page, you know, go back to the server and and get a, a, the next set of content, you're actually sort of refreshing, uh, you know, that whole thing and getting a new start. So if so, there was some kind of JavaScript error that's sort of lingering and messed up your display, it's probably going to get reset whenever you uh, whenever you go to that other page. Uh, let's see here. And then one last thing. This one will be pretty quick. Code tells you how comments tell you why. So this article is interesting because you don't actually have to read it at all. Uh, you just can read the title. <laughs> I think the title sums up everything, to be honest. Yep. Well, as soon as I saw that you put that in the show notes because you did that a little bit late, I yeah. immediately thought of another uh, uh, article. It was by Eric Lippert. Uh, he mm-hmm. used to be on the C Sharp team at Microsoft. And he had a blog post this year. It's called Comment Commentary. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was a really interesting way because he talked about commenting your code when you have a specification, like obviously the C Sharp team would. Mm-hmm. He talks about every method goes back to, I mean, that method itself can be referenced in the specification and every line of code can be referenced back to a line in the specification. So he uses comments to tie those two together with just like single lines of comments. And he uses huge blocks of comments to explain why we differed from the specification. That way, when somebody goes in to quote, fix it and they realize, hey, this doesn't fit the specification, they'll see that huge block of code or comments and realize these are all the reasons why this violates the specification. So so that really agrees with this article then. It's the why. Yes. It's the why of each line. And then there is one good, uh, well, there's multiple good comments here. Actually, you know what? This article is from 2006. Oh, nice. (laughs) I don't know. I saw it somewhere. I think it must have been a tweet. Um, But anyway, so one of the comments here was, I always ask myself, what questions would be asked by someone looking at the code for the first time? And I thought that was really good, too. So it's sort of the uh, beginner's instruction manual for for a code handoff. Instead of saying, like, hey, listen, I can explain. Uh, <laughs> you can you can just yeah. say, like, here's the code. And they look through and they're like, oh, OK, that makes sense. Um, you know, even if even if it says, like, you know, I was under horrible deadlines and here's what this function is trying to do. And it's horribly inefficient, but it got the job done you know, feel free to rewrite. There's unit tests like that would be fine, too. I, I love Jeff Atwood's articles. He writes some good ones. Um, have you guys read Code Complete? I actually have not. It's on my it's on my list. I need to oh, read it. I know. Man. I know that that's I feel right bad saying no. With, uh, <laughs> it's right in line with uh, with these articles. Um, it You know, it, it talks about just making your code common sense. You know, a lot of it is very common sense. So uh, things that you see a lot of you know, uh, like college students that would do that, you know, they, they try and make their code real complex because they think that, uh, you know, it, it's the pro way to do it. But really, that doesn't help anyone because, uh, you know, the, the less readable your code is, then the longer it takes the guy coming in behind you to maintain it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, having your code comment itself, uh, I think that's just another way of saying, uh, you know, keep it keep it readable, you know, sure, use your ternaries and stuff where they're where they're necessary, but you don't need a, you know, a uh, a ternary that goes, I have to scroll to the right for, you know, 10 minutes to, to read yep. and, uh, things so like I just that. Bought it. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't turn my screen yeah. to show you, but I, I just bought it. I bought the, I bought it's the a, Kindle edition. It's a great book. So I can, uh, it's a great book. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't, uh, well, 
paper takes up too much space and uh, my surface actually works pretty good for reading. So I just, I bought the Kindle version. It was 22 bucks. I bought the, the hard copy just because I wanted something to put on my desk at work. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a good book. Um, secure code, uh, writing secure code yep. is another good book. Um, and, uh, the 24 deadly sins of software engineering. Those are the, those are my, well, my slow picks. down. I only have so much money here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I just bought that one because I know that that one was good. Actually, I want to say yeah. one of those, there was a different one uh, that I, maybe it was this one that uh, I had borrowed from somebody. I might've actually read this one or at least read half of it. So, but I have it now, so I'm going to read it. It's, it's probably well, can quiz it. me on the next episode. <laughs> well, <laughs> two episodes from now. That writing secure code one, that one was, uh, or I'm sorry, not writing secure code. I mean, that's a good book too. Uh, but the 24 deadly sins, that one is, that's a, that's a fun read. Okay. Kind of takes you down through the depths of some of the nastier things you can do in code. Okay. Excellent. So let's get to the reason that we have you on here specifically, Anthony. Yep. I'm here for a reason. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Now we were having a little bit of a discussion on some of the things that you've been doing lately to kind of give back to the community. And you kind of put a kind of an ultimatum out there or a challenge for people. So I was wondering if you could just kind of explain, you know, what have you been doing recently in your community to give back? And and what is this challenge that you're giving to us? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, a lot of people, they, they, they don't understand uh, the economics out here in, in Ohio, a lot of people just look at the, is it like a flyover state? You know, maybe we have a casino, but we actually have a ton of tech companies right here in Northeast Ohio, they, in Columbus and Cincinnati as well. But I, uh, specifically to what I'm doing, there's a ton of companies out here in uh, Northeast Ohio. And um, a lot of these companies, there's, uh, there's a, a giant skills gap uh, for the employees that we're bringing in. And I mean, I know it's not just us. I know this is a countrywide thing. Uh, so, um, our company, uh, started reaching out to the community and they just happened to be doing that around the same time that I was also trying to reach out to the community, uh, because I started the, uh, user group. I decided last year, uh, that I wanted to do more in the community. So, um, I started a user group at the beginning of this year and, uh, we've, we've blown up within the last 10 months. We have a little over 130 members. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's going great. Uh, also working with the hackathons that uh, that kind of gave me some exposure. So my company, uh, Highland Software, they were trying to spin up some programs like a tech club and uh, working with the high schools in the area. And they wanted to bring me in to kind of relate to the kids because I'm not a suit, you know. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm a little more uh, I'm a little yeah, more on their level. So yeah, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the the kids, you know, it's easy for me to to sit down and relate to them. Well, when you say you know, kids, they, they what, the, what, the what age are we talking about? You said, did you say college level? Well, yeah. So I generalize because I work with a ton of okay. different ones. Um, as a matter of fact, on Thursdays, uh, our company we have a group of guys and gals that go out to a local elementary school, and we we work with elementary oh, kids cool. and get them interested in CIS. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I taught a thing on how to, I, I taught them how to take apart computers and we went over each piece of it. And, um, this week we went over, uh, the internet and, uh, I think last week we did binary, but I mean, th these are third yeah. graders and, and they love it. They're, they're eating it up. Uh, so that's one of the things we do. And then on Tuesdays, we also, uh, run our own club. We have a Highland Tech Club, it's called. Um, and that's when we bring in middle school and high school kids and we work with them and we've been teaching them. Uh, JavaScript. Uh, I actually, last week I taught, or I'm sorry, this past Tuesday, I taught uh, uh, object-oriented coding in JavaScript. 
and they they loved it. You know, they they ate it up. So, um, you know, these working with these kids, it's great. But the the whole point is to to get them in, interested in CIS uh, because we we need we need more more kids to to be inspired to get into this field. We need more engineers, and uh, that that's what we're trying to okay. do now. You know, what's interesting, I, I was at a, I was speaking at a college a couple of weeks ago and I, you know, it was a group, it was a class and they were like juniors and seniors. And I think there was about 30, 30 students there. And I said, you know, how many of you have, have written an app and nobody raised their hand. I said, how many people have an idea for an app? And in one person sort of gave me like the eh, half, like, you know, I have half an idea <laughs> and I was really depressed after that. Um, so, I mean, are you seeing, are you seeing something different than that? I mean, do you, do you have to go in and like, you have to start to get them excited first and, and then the ideas start flowing? Yeah. So here's the problem with, uh, at least this yeah. is my theory. This is, this is, Let's this is my it. theory on why, why we have, uh, you know, this, this lack of interest. Uh, it's boring. It's yeah. really boring. I mean, it, it, there is nothing oh, we're more good boring, at making it boring than, <laughs> right. There's nothing more boring than saying, Hey, you know, you're going to study how to, make computers work and then you're going to spend your life in a cubicle, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's boring. Right. So what I try and do is I try and make it fun. You know, I go to the kids and I tell them, Hey, you know, you're learning about science and you're learning about physics and you're learning about math in, in school. You know, why don't we make a robot that can, you know, blow a hole through the wall, you know, with what, you know, <laughs> you know, why don't we, why don't we take that science and that math and we figure out, um, you know, how to, how to blow out windows with sound or something, you know, we, we, we make it yeah. fun because, I, uh, you know, it really, I, I think our goal shouldn't be, uh, it, it shouldn't be trying to make these kids pro right away. It, that's never going to work. They're going to get bored. They're going to get turned away. I mean, my eyes gloss over when I read about coding yeah. and I love it. Um, what we need to do is we need to show them how fun it is. We need to show them that they can create stuff with their mind and have it, you know, bring a computer to life or bring a robot to life or, um, show them that they're only, you know, uh, they're, they're not that far removed from becoming an astronaut with, you know, what they know as, as an IT professional. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that's what our country is missing. And that's what, that's what our kids are missing. They're, they're missing that inspiration. So that's my roundabout way of bringing you to the challenge that I'm, I've come up with. Uh, you know, not everybody can get out there and, and help all the time. And I got that. However, there are many IT professionals that want to give back. They just don't know how. So I'm challenging, if you're an IT professional, you know, you work in the field. I don't care if you're a coder. I don't care if you're uh, an architect. I don't care if you, you an installer or whatever. You work with IT. I want you to go out there and I want you to teach a kid something. Teach them about your job. Teach them how, about how to take apart a computer. Te- teach them something. Go go to a local school. I guarantee you the local schools need volunteers because th- that's another big issue that we ran into uh, is that uh, not only do many of the schools not have IT programs, but the schools that do have IT programs, most of them don't have IT teachers teaching them. They have underqualified teachers because they just don't, it's not considered, it's not considered a priority, uh, which is, is it, it's ridiculous to me because the, the more kids get interested in CIS, the more it's going to solidify that bottom line of mathematics and science. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I just, I, I would love to see IT professionals get out there and give two hours of your month. Just give two hours to, to making CIS fun for a kid. You don't have to go lecture them on, on you know, uh, data types or object-oriented coding. You don't have to do that. Just get out there 
and show them that IT can be fun. Make a weather balloon, you know? Make one of those balloons and stick your, your $600 phone in it and let it go up and take photos of, of outer <laughs> space for you. Or, yeah, <laughs> or, you know, something, you know, make, get a, get an Arduino starter kit and teach these kids how to, how to blink a light yeah. bulb. Uh, or, or go to, take them to a, a, a competition. Uh, there, there are some more advanced programs. That, that's my challenge to IT to professionals. Um, but there are some more advanced things you can do. Uh, you can talk to your company about getting involved. Usually companies love to give back and, uh, it's great exposure for them. So it's, it's, it's easy to get the companies involved. Uh, you can also, uh, work with this company called TechCore. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar no. with TechCore at all. Uh, so TechCore, what they do is they build, uh, material. So they, they might build a class for you and then they will, uh, sell it to you or, or whatever you, you get it, you know, however you get it. And then you can, uh, take that and go teach kids with it. You can build an entire program around teaching kids. They do camps, they do classes like that class with the, uh, elementary skid, uh, school kids that mm-hmm. we're working with. Uh, all the materials provided by TechCore. Um, so it's a really great program. Uh, and they, they have a bunch of ways to give back. Uh, th- there's a bunch of ways to, you can, if you don't want to, uh, teach, you can donate. It's, it's a great cause. I, I, I think this is really amazing what you're doing, but it sounds like just a lot going on. You're hitting kids that you, I think you said as young as third grade, you're hitting high schoolers, you're hitting college age students. Don't hit kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only, only when they don't listen. <laughs> so sorry, Carl, you know, how, how, do, how do you find, you know, age appropriate things that are going to keep them engaged without, you know, dumbing it down and keeping it exciting, like you said, you know, how, how do you go about that? Or what are some tips that you have for people that might want to accept your challenge? So this is the thing. Uh, if you want to make it fun, just be a kid, you know, just it's, look at it. You know, uh, how did Bill Nye make science fun? You know, how did, uh, you know, how did, why does every kid want to grow up to be, to be an astronaut or a firefighter? Because it, it looks cool. It looks exciting. So um, don't go to these kids with, you know, coding topics that, you know, don't give them a, a, the, you know, C++ in 24 hours. No one wants to read that, <laughs> you know, uh, do something yourself, build something fun and take it to them, show them how to build an app or, you know, uh, or sit down with one and show them how, you know, to do that. And uh, there, there's lots of great different things you can do. Uh, if you're confused, I would start with TechCore. That's a great place. Um, and, and they have a ton of material on there that you can use uh, and they have age appropriate material. Uh, but to give you an idea, I, I think personally, uh, it, it, it's my personal opinion that the younger, the better. Um, you know, the, these kids, they, uh, they don't come out of the womb hating vegetables. You know, they, they hate vegetables because, you know, we don't feed them. We give them chicken nuggets instead. Uh, just like they don't come out of the womb hating CIS. Uh, we just need to, we need to breed them. We need to give them, you know, right from the start, we need to give them a solid foundation in mathematics and science. If we can do that from the start, then when they get to high school, they're not going to be like I was. They're not going to have to to struggle through algebra in you know as a senior in high school. You know they're not going to have to do that. Um, they're going to have a, a, a solid working foundation all the way up through the grades, and that's where we need to start is is in the youngest grades possible. Cool, cool. Oh, uh, let's see, what do we got next? Uh, I have I have just have so many questions right now going through my head. <laughs> this is awesome though because I. I, uh, I, one thing that I did want to mention the, I, I was at a Microsoft store. Um, it wasn't, uh, recently, but it was, I, where was I? I think I was down in like the Chicago one and I mentioned to them, I, d- I didn't live near the store, but they said that they run events all the time for kids. 
So they they have like programming classes for kids. I have you ever seen that in the in the Microsoft stores? Seen any of those events? Okay, uh, I have not. To, no. They don't have it listed on the web page, but that might be something to check out too. Is is to find your local Microsoft store and just go in there. And I'm not trying to like pitch Microsoft here or anything, but um, I, it was just because I happened to be in one. I I don't know if Apple does something similar in in their stores or not. Uh, but there might be some uh, interesting opportunities there. But uh, yeah, I, I want to see what uh, I want to see what's available in my area. Because yeah, the, the one of the problems that I have is you know I have my uh, yeah, I have three kids, but um, you know a, a nine, six, and three year old. And the nine year old, it would definitely be interested in this type of stuff. I, I know he is, uh, but I have to. I want to include the six year old somehow. So yeah, we have to make it. You know, I, I gotta. The, he raises the bar sure. as to how cool it has to be, you know, a little bit less attention. Yeah, you know, we struggled with that a little bit with yeah. our tech club, uh, finding age-appropriate things, because we started out with Scratch. Yep. Uh, I don't yep. know if you know what Scratch is. Uh, we started out with Scratch uh, in uh, with the high school kids, and they thought it was it was boring. And uh, we also did an Hour of Code with them. I don't know if you saw the Hour of Code initiative. I've heard of it. Yeah, that's it's a great thing, but uh, it's a little played out for the – the uh okay so that's yeah learn.code.com yeah i've seen that i've seen that yeah and the uh scratch you have to help me with that because i uh (laughs) for for whatever reason i can't seem to get it to do what i want it to do (laughs) (laughs) yeah scratch is it's a good time but the the high school kids are turned away from it they want the real deal you know by the time they get to high school they want to actually be coding if they're if they're you know sitting in the tech club that that's what they want they want to to actually learn you know the fundamentals of, of coding but as you start stepping back in age, uh, that's when, you know, you need to start getting a much higher and higher level. Uh, so um, in middle school, you know, Scratch might be fine. Uh, elementary school, you know, you could probably use Scratch, but you also want to use real, real general things like taking apart a desktop or, um, you know, just very high level abstract concepts. You don't want to get in there and start coding with, you know, third graders. They're they're going to, their attention span right, is like right. 10 seconds. Well, and, and in my experience, like everybody, kid, adult, whatever, they like working with real physical things. So, you know, you mentioned like robots and things like that, but if you can get any kind of hardware controlling something, even Lego Mindstorms, I mean, I, I'm still, you know, at my age, I think they're fascinating. I, I want to get them for my kids just so I can play with them, but you can, yeah, that's actually, that's actually okay. on our agenda. We're going to start after the Christmas break. We're going to work with Lego Mindstorms with the uh, third graders. Okay. So, so yeah, Lego Mindstorms. Yeah. Are there any other technologies that you can think of? Uh, well, Arduino is okay. near and dear to my heart. I love Arduino, uh, mainly because it, it's you know it's it's like a gateway drug. You know, it's you start out, you can start plugging things together yeah. and just make it work. And you don't really know how much goes behind it, but uh, once you start learning you, and getting more in depth, you can you can continue on with Arduino. Like you don't have to go out and buy other. Uh, you know, other products like you can just continue on with Arduino all the way down to assembly mm-hmm. code. Uh, you can you can code that on there. Uh, you, and I most of my Arduino projects I solder. So, uh, you know, you so can where do, do you buy well. your parts for that? Is that like SparkFun or something else? Yeah, usually I'll use SparkFun or Amazon. Um, occasionally I'll get something from eBay if I'm feeling particularly okay. cheap. Uh, last resort, or if I'm feeling really impatient, I'll go out to like Microsoft yeah. or something. Usually, they so have, so if so. I do want to, if I want to, you know, introduce a group of kids to this, because I'm wondering too, like the, you know, my my kids' school as an example. If I go into the teacher there and say, "Hey, let's let's make this fun for them," um, so I, I I get an Arduino. It looks like I have all these different pieces that will plug in. Is the is the actual, uh, you know, how do you, what do you actually write that code in? 
Bernardo Eno. Um, well, okay, so I'll, I'll give it in two pieces. The first is the code is um, you can do it in C++ Java or, um, yeah, C++ Java or um, okay. assembly. I, I think those are the languages it supports. But uh, as far as what you want to take into the kids, uh, whenever I'm introducing kids to something uh, or a new technology or if I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get them interested in it, uh, I always think back about the uh, the old Iraq war, you know, mm-hmm. shock and awe. That's what you want. You want to go in there and you want to blow these kids, you want to blow their mind, and you want to make it as easy as possible. Because as soon as it starts getting complex, they're going to, you know, it sucks yeah. the romance out of it, they're done. So uh, go in there with a completed project, uh, go in there, you know, build your own endpoints. Uh, so all the kids have to do is call, you know, turn left right, and the right. car turns left or something like that. You know, it's very, very simple. And, and then once you have them hooked... Uh, on the drug of CIS, then you can start, uh, you know, watering it down and and uh, you know, giving them giving them more of the details and things I'm like that. I'm wondering, like for Arduino, and in, you know, the the challenge with these electronics is there's there's you know, you can go down like the Raspberry Pi route, and there's a whole ecosystem around that. Arduino has its own ecosystem. Sure. There's got to be, I and I don't know how um, how far you've gotten into this. There's got to be something where you can you can program you can program that logic, like you said, turn left, turn right. Um, maybe even like through a web browser or something. Is that, are you aware of anything like that? Uh, not, that's not a thing that I've worked with okay. is like that now. I'm yeah. sure you could though. I mean, that doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem that far fetched, especially with something like the yeah. Raspberry Pi. Uh, I mean, you, I, I'm sure you could hook a server up on there. I have a couple of them sitting okay. right in front of me right now. They're, uh, they're very easy to work yeah, cause with. Cause you're right. I mean, if you can, if you can make it so they can just type in, you know, turn left, drive forward and actually see that happen. Um, sure. you know, that's, I think that's exciting. Cause you want to, you want to introduce them slowly into, into the fundamentals yeah. of coding. And that's kind of what we did with our tech club. We, we eased them into it and now they're accelerating faster and faster. We, we started out with, um, just basic HTML. We just gave them, you know, real basic stuff, showed them how to make a static page. Then we started doing CSS and they liked it. You know, we kept adding on and adding on. Finally, we started slowly dripping in javascript you know oh you can do conditionals you can do functions you can do you know just ease it in um and then like i said this past tuesday uh after only six weeks of training with them we've been uh, i just introduced them to object-oriented coding with javascript so uh i mean it's a very quick ramp up um but it's it's like you know it's it's just drops at a time it give them little bits yeah. little nibbles keeps them coming back cool as you've been doing these things with these kids, what what is the biggest thing or most surprising or impressive thing that you've seen a kid do as being, you know, a member of one of these clubs? Yeah, uh, you know, these kids, they they impress me every day with the things they're able to retain and how quickly they can retain it and, and understand uh, what we're teaching. But uh, every now and then some some kid comes and just like just blows your mind. They stand out. Uh, and recently I. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, going around to all the different high schools and sitting with the principals and talking to them about their, their IT programs and trying to get them on board with what we're doing. Uh, and I, I went out to one of these schools uh, just just uh, east of Cleveland, and they were telling me about these two kids. They There's a there's a kid at their school that's, that's uh, paraplegic or handicapped. Uh, he couldn't make it into school for one reason or another. And... Uh, these two IT students, instead of just sitting around like every other student, they went out and they built a robot that uh, lets the kid go from class to class and, and be participate in the classroom. And, I mean, these are high school kids. So, uh, and nobody paid them to do it. They just did it because they love IT and they love, 
you know, they love helping people. And uh, I think that's, that's such a great, great story. Yeah. I was just building a, a flappy bird on uh, learn.co.org. This is really fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that site can be pretty good. They have yeah, a bunch I'm of trying to figure out, you know, how to do this with my own kids. Like, do I, you know, do I say, you know, spend, spend an hour on this and, you know, maybe you get an extra hour of playing Minecraft or, you know, like, how do I, you know, how do I sort of just get them started in this? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm convinced if they, you know, if they just start doing this, they're going to love it. Yeah. You know, I do it with my mm-hmm. son, my son's five and, uh, I, I sit down with him and we'll, we'll do stuff together. But I, I had the same questions when I first started working with him. It's, you know, how do you, how do you get them interested in something that we grew yeah. up with is boring? You know, cause whenever I think about learning or school, even as much as I love it now, I still there's still negative connotations to go along with it. So, um, yeah, I just try and, I try and, I stay pumped. You know, I stay excited. Uh, I, I just, I make it the, the most fun and exciting thing that we could possibly be yeah. doing at that moment. And, um, you know, worst case scenario is him and I spend some time together and he doesn't like what we're doing, but he enjoys spending time with me. Best case scenario, uh, is he learns something new and he, he learns a new passion. So, um, that, that's the only thing I can suggest is just go in there and be as pumped and motivated as you can with your kids and, um, you know, show them that it is a good time and show them that learning is fun and, uh, maybe they can, they can take that back to school. Okay, cool. You know? So your, so your call to action is everybody who's listening should get out there, figure out how to, how to get somebody excited about this. Absolutely. You know, uh, I'm a pretty blunt guy. I, I won't, I won't <laughs> swear on your show, but I, I'll tell you that. You know, I, I want yeah. you to get off your butt. You know, if you're sitting at, at home or at work or wherever you're listening to this right now, I want you to get off your butt, stop screwing around, give back to the community a little bit, and go give two hours of your month. Two hours isn't much. Go go teach a kid something because these kids, there's kids out there that they want to learn. They they you know they're they're interested in the field, but either their parents don't have the money or the schools don't have the money. Um, you know, something there there's something mm-hmm. holding them back. Maybe they're just not confident. You know, that was my problem growing up is, uh, you know, I actually had a guidance counselor tell me that I was not a college bound student. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) I actually had a guidance counselor tell me that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, so what did I do? I went off to the army instead and, uh, I, I got my feet underneath me. I got a little confidence. I came back and I got straight A's in college as a CIS student. So, um, you know, maybe I, I know there's kids out there that are in the same position that just, you know, they need that boost in the right direction. So, uh, if you're an IT professional and you're, you're sitting at home every night playing Call of Duty, you know, get off your butt for two hours or something, you know, just do it 30 minutes, just do it 30 minutes, uh, you know, a couple times a week. And, uh, you know, before, before you know it, you're oh, going to change awesome. your life. Very, very cool. Anything else you want to say on that? Uh, no, I, I appreciate you guys having me on and, uh, I, I know that we're gonna, we're gonna help some kids. And yeah. I mean, I was things. interested cause I, you know, I have kids of my own. Um, and then just the, the school in general, I, I just remember school did not do a good job with this. You know, when I was in school, um, you know, computers were, were sort of this, this magical thing that, you know, we had like typing class on and, and they, they were, they were afraid of, um, you know, doing anything interesting to be honest. So I, I just <laughs> sort of feel compelled to, to, you know, go fix that. Cause I, I really doubt that it's any different now. Absolutely. And you know what? It's not just you. Most IT people that I talk to, uh, they feel the same way. They want to give back. They yeah. know there's a problem. Uh, and 
you know, they want to, they want to get out there, but they just, they don't know how. So, um, yeah, once again, reach out to tech core, do something yourself, go to the library, you know, start a meetup group for kids. Um, there's, there's a million things you can do. Start a makerspace. You know, I would love to see, you know, makerspaces popping up everywhere for these kids or, uh, you know, talk to your company. Lots of companies love to give back. Yeah. They're always looking for good, uh, and it seems like every kid would show up, right? Like if I know at least at the school that my, I, my kids go to a real small school and, and if I, if I got the word out, Hey, we're starting this club where kids are going to be doing cool stuff with computers. The parents are going to be like, yeah, this, you know, they, they get it right. They, even if they don't understand it, they're like, this yeah. would be useful for my kid to have. They would be all over that. I guarantee it. Absolutely. You know, kids are going to need it. Not kids. Adults are going to need, um, you know, these mm-hmm. computer skills through their whole life. It's, it's true now. It's going to be even more true in 10 years when, you know, these kids are in the workforce. Um, so if we don't prepare them, if, if, if the industries don't, because look, I'll just be blunt. If we wait for the government to, to get off their, you know, their collective butts to do something about this, we're, right. it's never going to get done. If, if the industry wants to close the skills gap, if we want to get, um, our kids, you know, your kids and my kid, if we want them to do well, then we need to stand up. We can't, we can't rely on the government to do it because they're, they're so disattached from reality. Right, they're right. never going to fix it. So it's, it's on us. Right. And even it's throwing money at this isn't going to solve it either. Even if the, even if the government said we're going to spend a billion dollars to fix this, I mean, it's just not going to work. Right. It, it needs volunteers. I mean, there's, uh, we went to one school, um, and they had, they had like a Mac lab and they had like five computer labs, iPads, smart boards, all this type of stuff, but they didn't use it. They don't use half of the stuff because um, they got all the grants to buy it, but they don't have any qualified instructors to use it or their teachers yep. are resistant to using it. Um, these are the problems that the schools are facing. So this is this is where we can give back. So I have a game for you. This is a game that we right. uh, that we play now. You have to pick a number between one and four. Well, that, yeah. Okay, yeah, I have to pick a number right now. Like the first part of the game. That's not the whole game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no. I thought that was the game. Um, well, let's see. Uh, we will go with three. Three. Okay. You got to answer this question. All right. Would you rather fall down 20 wooden steps by accident or fall down 40 concrete steps by accident, but while wearing a football helmet, knee pads, elbow pads, and wrist guards? Oh man, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, you know what? Screw it. I, I'll take the wooden one with no no protection. You know, oh, go yeah. bigger, go bigger, go home. You know, yeah, yeah, no pain, no gain. You gotta, you gotta, because look, you know, I got a theory on this. You know, if if you don't feel the pain in life, then you'll never feel the good. You know, you can't you can't go through life and not feel pain. So yeah, bring it. Yep, that's why when I get up in the morning, I hit my my head on the wall twenty times because it feels good when I stop. Okay, Absolutely. Carl, <laughs> pick a number between one and four. One. <laughs> okay. Would you rather suddenly turn into a dolphin and be in the ocean, or suddenly turn into a monkey and be in the rainforest? I'd have to go with dolphin. Yeah, I'm thinking that too. That'd be awesome. I mean, what? Yeah, but, well, I, I just read something too that like dolphins spend their entire life playing. Yeah. Well, and what do monkeys do? I mean, we we basically are monkeys in the rainforest, right? <laughs> <laughs> they throw poop, don't they? Yeah, yeah. So they my get eaten. yeah, so my life wouldn't really be any different. But yeah, as a dolphin, I mean, that would be a good time. I mean, and then you could go find some people, and you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dolphin has jumped jumped the shark. <laughs> With that, let's move on to the Azure pick of the week. 
the exciting stuff for kids. <laughs> Actually, I think I think the the cloud has some. You know, we we need to be teaching our kids about the cloud. I'm not. We don't. We don't need to talk about that now. But um, you know, that, I think that's an important part of things too. But anyway, um, one thing I do want to talk about specifically for the Azure Pick of the Week is the Azure Premium Storage. And I know we mentioned it. Uh, I I think we mentioned it uh, a couple episodes ago uh, when it was announced at TechEd. But uh, I just wanted to mention again. There's a video out there. We're going to find uh, we're going to find a link for this and put it in the show notes. But Mark Rusinovich demoed this. So he showed, uh, you know, the performance today. I, th- I think he showed it on a single drive in Azure and he showed, you know, it got somewhere around 500 IOPS. And then he used the new Azure premium storage and he cranked it up the whole way, striped it across um, the maximum number of disks that were allowed. And I think he in the demo, he actually passed 60,000 IOPS which is pretty good, pretty darn good, especially considering that that's, you know, redundant storage. You're getting, you know, multiple copies of that data, uh, both in the same data center and replicated across different data centers. So um, I just, I thought that was really cool. And uh, that is, um, I think it's going to be in preview soon. It's not out yet, uh, but it'll be in uh, in preview soon. So people can check that out. And that's really going to make these uh, applications that are being forklifted into Azure, it's really going to make them fly. And then, Carl, what do we got for the uh, app of the week? The app of the week is something I've kind of been using on and off for a while, but I've really started using heavily the last couple of weeks. And it's a Twitter client called Tweetium. It's available for both the Windows desktop or uh, Windows Store and Windows Phone. And it's, it's kind of unique. Most Twitter clients have kind of a vertical approach to how they, you know, view your timeline. This is more horizontal, at least in the in the Windows client. Um, what really pushed me over the edge is as we've done more and more with, you know, the having a, a Twitter account, my personal account. I run a few other organizations, Twitter stuff as well. Um I've, it's kind of gotten too much to juggle all these different ways to access the different accounts. And for $7.99 a year, you can get Tweetium Pro, which enables multiple accounts. You get push notifications. It'll sync position across your different devices. So I can leave off on phone, go to the desktop. It'll be at that same part. Um, the mm. Pro features really make this app shine when you're using it in multiple devices. Um and especially with me being, I was gone all last week at a conference. Um, it, it was really nice being able to switch back and forth and being exactly where I needed to be. So we'll have links for the Windows Phone and the Windows Store. And then Jason, I heard you have a shameless self promotion as well. Oh, did I even did I even put that in there, or did you put it in? You put that in there. Oh, okay, I put it in. So I talked about it earlier. <laughs> uh, we'll include a link in the show notes. Um, now keep in mind, so I've been working on this app for a long time now, by a long time, I mean, like, you know, the day that I started to today has been a long time, but I, you know, I haven't been able to put a lot of time actually into the app, but I wanted to release early release often. So I've, I've at least done the release early portion of that. So I have an app, it's called keep moving and uh, I mentioned what it does earlier. So uh, in its initial form, all it does is if you've been sitting too long, it will give you a notification and you can actually go into the, you know, your notification settings and, and set a custom sound for it. Um, ultimately I'd like to make it so you can actually download some cool notification sounds from this app. Um, right now this thing is not configurable. All you can do is turn it on or off. Uh, so you can't put in there like the amount of time that you've been sitting. I think the, I think it it's uh, set to 20 minutes. 
is the uh, is is just what you get out of the box. Uh, but I'd love to hear, you know, what people, uh, um, you know, what they're looking for in this app if people use it. Now, the the biggest restriction that it has is that it requires sensor core. So that's like the 1520 on the 930, the 635 and the Lumia icon have the sensor core. If you install it on a non-sensor core device, it's pretty much going to do nothing. Um, the other thing is I've had people ask me this. Why does it pop up when I first run it saying, can I have access to your location data? Uh, that is required for sensor core, unfortunately. So I'm actually not using your location data. I'm only using your motion data, but it's all grouped together under the same permission. Um, so uh, go check it out. I, I use it all the time. Again, it was for me, I built it because I was I kept reading the article saying that that sitting all day was worse than smoking. Uh, and I was frustrated and I, I know I've said on the show before that my Fitbit doesn't do this for me. I think there's like the Samsung or the Moto 360, I think does this, um, a couple different devices do it, but the devices I have don't. So this enables that. Have you installed, oh, you, you don't have actually what, uh, does this work on your phone, Carl? You have the, now you said you have a, HTC. I have an HTC. Uh, yeah. So no sensor core. <laughs> oh man. So not, not, uh, what do you have, Anthony? What phone are you running? Uh, I am currently rocking the 925. 925? Does that so, have? No, it does not. Oh, you guys are uh, well, you can thank my my dog for breaking my 920. Well, the 920 didn't have it either. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, never mind then. Okay, so I guess it's a small arc market for this app. That's why we had two apps of the week. <laughs> all right. Yeah, so you can find me uh, www.anthonyrussell.info, uh, and you can find my Twitter link and uh, emails off of there. For me, you can go to ytechie.com or twitter.com slash ytechie. For the show, you can email your feedback to feedback at msdevshow.com. Uh, you can subscribe by simply searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Or if you search on the web, you'll also find it. You can play it right from the web. Uh, so you can, Or you can just visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, uh, check out our links and show notes and more. Um, also like our page on facebook.com slash msdevshow. Send your comments and feedback to feedback at msdevshow. And be sure to leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Carl, where can they find you? You can find me at wpdevguy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. Thank you so much, Anthony, for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank Any, you. Yeah. Anytime you want to come on, we loved having you on again. But anytime you want to come on, we always love talking to you. Sure. Uh, I love coming on the show. Thank you. 